And welcome to Zoom with Zarni. Today is Friday, December 17th, and uh, I'm happy to come to you today. I have a great interview lined up for you. It's uh, Susan Lerner, the Executive Director of Common Calls New York, uh, a friend of the, the podcast here, one of my frequent guests, and a champion of democracy, both uh, in New York and here in Onondaga County, as she's been instrumental in the uh, redistricting process in the county and city uh, phase here in Syracuse, New York. And uh, she's just uh, a great wealth of knowledge, an incredible advocate for voters of New York. And uh, even though her and I don't always see eye to eye, we always find a way to have a great discussion. Um, she's also part of the Let New York Vote Coalition, a coalition I believe I'm an ally of. Um, I'm a commissioner, so I don't try to be a member of any uh, coalition or, or good government group, because again, sometimes we're, um, we're at odds, but the Democratic Caucus of Commissioners definitely are uh, friends of good government groups uh, as well. And so I'm very happy uh, you know, we're to talk about their legislative goals, kind of causes legislative goals. And she does weigh in on the constant uh, ongoing discussion that we're having here on the podcast about redistricting in Onondaga County and Syracuse, New York, because that is ongoing. Um, we are uh, awaiting a public hearing for Tuesday, December 21st, where the Republicans are going to probably push through their one of their two uh, 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 redistricting plans, uh, plans that are under a lot of uh, scrutiny right now, uh, not just from uh, local, but uh, national figures. Uh, the county attorney's office released a statement saying that putting too many African-American people in a district is akin to packing that's been laughed at, uh, <laughs> to be quite honest, by national redistricting figures, because that is something that is, uh, you know, is, is a laughable notion. Now, obviously, if uh, African-American uh, uh, residents are uh, grouped together into one district uh, to allow for them to choose the candidate of their preference. That's a long held uh, uh, prospect of the Voting Rights Act. It's one of the main tenets of the Voting Rights Act. And it's, it's done to protect communities to be kept together. Uh, that's the difference that is going on right now in this debate is that the, the proponents of the Republican plans are leaving out that the, the 16th County Ledge District, that community has been voting together and it's a compact community for about 20, 30 years uh, in its uh, you know, current form and maybe even beyond that. So the fact that uh, they're making these arguments now seems to, well, there seems to be other reasons why they're making these arguments and it's to buttress the rest of their plan um, which I released a wonky Wednesday this week, and I think it shows the differences between their plans and the uh, Democratic plan, uh, which I believe is a better plan, and a plan that uh, is in compliance with state and federal laws, as opposed to their plans, which I believe are not. So we'll have to see what happens on uh, Tuesday. Uh, obviously, this has been a, a roller coaster uh, ride on this uh, redistricting where they've been rushing this through and trying to get this done. 
Uh, you know, the Democrats still contend that we should be bringing in outside experts, taking a longer look at this. We have until 2023 and are, pass, are putting forth a, a measure to vote on that to make that the case come uh, this year as well. Republicans may or may not keep that. I'm pretty sure they'll reject it. That's just been their MO is to keep pushing through, pushing through, and then finding out what they're pushing through is illegal. So we'll see what happens uh, and then, of course, then a court battle is likely to ensue uh, after this is all said and done. But if, but uh, that may be putting the cart before the horse a little bit. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Board of Elections is getting ready for the new year. Um, as I said, I released a wonky Wednesday on the redistricting. Uh, we're still waiting to hear about the state lines, when that will come down. That looks like January 15th is when we're going to start seeing some new maps on that, um, final maps anyways. Um, so that may not be till the middle of February till we get uh, you know maps that are signed by the governor and put into place. So we'll have to see how that goes. And finally, uh, there's we're still waiting um, word whether the governor is gonna sign those four bills that I talked about in my Tuesday commissioner in the car, um, you know, expanding it early voting, uh, uh, changing the way we count absentee ballots, counting them before election day, uh, having an online portal, a permanent online portal like we've had the last two years, and a absentee ballot tracking system uh, at the state level. Uh, these are things that we are um, going to uh, uh, find out uh, if she signs these in the next few days. She did come out for uh, you know restarting the constitutional amendment on uh, no fault absentees, uh, I think that's a, a good thing. It, it'll be until 2024 until uh, it can be voted again by the voters. But uh, I think it's a, because New York State takes so long to do these constitutional amendments, it's good to try to get those uh, started now, and then uh, we can see whether you know if they don't pass it in this session. It, it would have to actually wait till 2026. So that's uh, uh, important for them to start that process now. Uh, even though the voters did just uh, vote to reject it, um, I think, uh, you know, in a very low turnout year, I think giving uh, the full uh, state a chance to take a look at this and uh, decide whether we want to go actually reject this or not is, a, is an important uh step and uh, something that I support as well. So we'll have to see whether she signs these bills and whether uh, new legislation is going to come into place that will get us back on the track to no-fault absentees in New York State. Um, and uh, there, I'm sure there's uh, some other things coming our way with the legislature, but uh, until then, uh, I want to uh, get to my interview with Susan Lerner, uh, Executive Director of Common Cause New York, a good friend, tireless advocate for voters, and I think you'll find our conversation interesting. So thank you and enjoy. And I'm so happy to have my good friend, a uh, friend of the pod, Susan Lerner of Common Cause, uh, Susan, thanks for coming back on Zoom with Zardy. Uh, Dustin, I mean, our conversations are always the best, anytime. Yeah. And you've been on several times, but I'm sure there may be some people that haven't seen the other episodes. So, Susan, 
Uh, tell us what your position is at Common Cause and what Common Cause does. Sure. I'm the executive director of Common Cause New York. We are the New York chapter of a national organization that has been in existence since the early 1970s. We are a government watchdog organization and a good government group. We have tens of thousands of activists and members throughout New York State. We have uh, folks in every single one of the congressional and legislative districts throughout the state who care about efficient, effective, fair, and inclusive government. Right, and you're no stranger to Onondaga County. You've been uh, a warrior in our redistricting fights uh, to try to make Syracuse uh, an independent redistricting commission, which we'll talk about. Uh, right. And that was a successful fight. And of course, the fight in Onondaga County about the failure of getting an independent redistricting and now the fights over the maps themselves. And we'll get into the, the redistricting stuff a little later, but you're also part of a larger coalition called the yes. Let New York Vote Coalition, which is something you helped found in New York State. Tell us about that. So the Let New York Vote Coalition is a broad coalition of organizations and activists throughout the state who care about voting, who believe that voting is the lifeblood of our democracy, and that therefore we have to have a effective and admirable 21st century election system. And unfortunately here in New York, a lot of our laws have fallen behind the times when it comes to elections and election administration. So all of the groups got together and there are groups that work on every phase of elections, groups that are, uh, you know, uh, groups that only work on voter education and registration, all the way through to groups that endorse candidates and run campaigns. And we realized that the work we were doing to try and inform New Yorkers about voting, get them registered, turn them out to the polls, was just way too difficult because our laws were not up to the 21st century standard. And so we have been working jointly uh, throughout the state at the local and the state level to uh, really reform and improve New York's election law. And our first success was in finally uh, bringing early voting to New York's elections. And the Let New York Vote Coalition, and you know, which I consider myself a uh, ally of, I'm not a part of, because yeah. I'm an elections commissioner, and sometimes you have to hold us to a task, which is, I, I always welcome, but I know others don't. But uh, <laughs> uh, even when we disagree, I always find uh, it agreeable. But, um, you know, and, and that's a great segue into what I kind of wanted to talk about is, you know, we've had a great three years of, you know, three different uh, legislative sessions and uh, elections where we've expanded the vote in New York. And we, I think we all thought it was culminating with the, the constitutional propositions that were on the ballot uh, in 2021, which surprisingly to me and to many other people, and maybe even to you, uh, especially the, the propositions regarding no-fault absentees and same-day registration, uh, failed at the ballot box by a healthy margin. It was not a close vote. Right. Um, right. And so what, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, in the, 
and the future of uh, those two propositions. Right. So first off, my, you know, I think the baseline that everybody has to remember is that $3 million spent <clears throat> to confuse voters without any really effective counter will confuse voters, will frighten them. There was $3 million spent to basically push misinformation about how those reforms would work. And it's very much the voter suppression messages from other states coming to New York because the scaremongering, the fearmongering, the scary ads were all about voter fraud, voter fraud, voter fraud, which we know does not exist and is not exacerbated by these uh, really uh, common sense reforms. But there was no counter. Um, those of us who were working for those proposals had very limited resources. We certainly didn't have, we didn't have a fraction of $3 million, which was spent in the last three weeks to confuse the voters. And that kind of money will confuse the voters. So, you know, when we went to democracy supporters, when we went to the folks who put these proposals on the ballot, when we went to the Democratic Party and others and said, um, there's a big push back on these, there's a big push for a no campaign. If you're living in New York City, you're not going to see it. But if you're outside of New York City, you're being barraged. And there has to be a response from those of us who are pro-democracy. And we were told, New York's a blue state. What are you worried about? Yeah. Um, well, if you allow anti-democratic forces to be the only voice, they will confuse people. Yeah, democracy is not self-executing. Yeah. We all have to show up to defend it and expand it. That's right. And I'll be honest, I, I'm going to cop to this. I, I was one of those, I, you know, I wasn't saying don't spend money because I don't have any money. So it's, that's not my choice. But <laughs> I thought it was safe. I thought, Sure, I, you know, being upstate, I saw those anti-democracy, all of a sudden lawn signs popped up all over the place. And, you know, they were paired with other Republican signs. So I, I thought, well, it's just something that's happening. But New York City is going to bring us through. Um, but I think what a lot of us didn't realize is just how low voter turnout would be in this last election. Yeah. Um, yeah. After four years of increasing voter turnout um, in in it, I mean, but that can't solely be to blame for this. I mean, it, it was a low turnout and it was um, maybe a kind of like air going out of the balloon after the Trump years, we got Trump out. And then of course, New York City has not an uncontested mayoral race, but at that point, pretty much uncontested. Right. And so they have low turnout as well. And that, and we saw Democrats throughout the, um, throughout the state in Long Island and, and other places lose power. Um, so it, do you believe that we should think about bringing these props up again and, but this time pair it with a higher turnout year? Yes, but also do more advanced work and support them, right? I mean, I, I very, very few legislators who have large email lists said a thing. 
in support of these propositions, right? Um, you know, so uh, there are things that absolutely, I think, informing the public who actually use and like no-fault absentee, um, I think is very important. A higher turnout election. Also, Dustin, I got too many comments from people, and not just about Prop 1, that they couldn't figure out what was actually on the ballot. Yeah. So we have definitely got to improve how measures are described on the ballot so that the voter can read and understand what they're voting for. Because if you basically said to the vast majority of voters, do you want to be able to use absentee voting? They would say yes. Yeah, but the description is very confusing. And that's got to change. Yeah, and that's what surprised me so much about the no fault. I got I understood the same day registration, although major proponent of it wanted it. Um, I, I thought that would be a higher lift. I thought we'd still win it, but it's it's you know there's an there's a uh, a factor in regular voters' minds that it, oh well if you didn't make your time to register why should you allow to register then you got to go into the education parts which right. is you know um, people forget people move around the first of the year and that kind of stuff but uh, but the no fault absentee after basically doing no fault absentee for the last two years because of COVID uh, I was very surprised that people were willing to give it up. And, and, well, and, but that's because that's not what they were told. Okay. Right. That's not what they were told because there was deliberate misinformation and voter suppression where you didn't have that misinformation in New York City. Those proposals went one at 65 and 70%. Okay. So yeah. that's, so if you have only repeated loud misinformation and fear mongering, $3 million will unopposed, virtually unopposed, will succeed. It will. So again, the whole story of money in politics and how it warps our entire election atmosphere, I think is, you know, for another, uh, you know, another podcast, but this is a real lesson. We cannot assume that things Things that are badly described that can be misrepresented will be understood intuitively by the voter. So um, the Let New York Vote, Vote Coalition and Common Cause is getting ready for the start of our New York State yes. legislative session. And you recently uh, released a list of reforms that yes. uh, you want uh, um, that you want enacted. Uh, and you know, this is a list I mostly agree with uh, <laughs> I mean, you, and i'll be honest we you and i disagree sometimes about the need for yeah. uh bipartisan uh boards of elections administra administrative wise and but and i understand where you're coming from especially with some of the stuff in new york city but leaving that aside we usually agree on almost just about everything else and right. um and and you have an interesting list and new york state session will be starting in less than 30 days and it's only it's going to be even a shorter session than normally because they're all running for elections. So they usually end at the beginning of June. Um, so what, what are you hoping to accomplish in this session? So we want to set a substrate for re-examining and bringing back the no excuse absentee and same day registration amendments. But we think that there's more work that needs to be done before that. 
you know, how to describe it more accurately, but also there are two things that I think can be done that should be done in this upcoming session that will help dispel the misinformation. One is to change the voter registration deadline. By statute, our voter registration deadline is set 25 days before the election, a completely arbitrary number. It doesn't make any sense to anybody. The constitution itself, the state constitution provides a 10 day voter registration deadline. We should move our voter registration deadline from 25 days to the constitutionally permitted 10 days. Now that will be a benefit, making it clearer and more intuitive to people when they have to register what the deadline is, but it also creates an interesting overlap with early voting where we would have one, what we call golden day, where you can register and you can vote. We would be able to set that up as a pilot that shows how same day registration could actually work. So that when we bring the constitutional amendment back, people will be familiar with it. They will see how it benefits people and how it's not problematic. So that's number one. Number two, Currently, under state law, there's an expanded definition of the justification to get a absentee ballot because of illness. And that was added in because of the pandemic, which is a fear of becoming ill or making somebody else ill. That by its terms, sunsets on December 31st. I think the legislature expected that the Constitution would be amended by then. There is a bill that's been introduced to continue that expanded definition of illness for uh, absentee ballot purposes. And we believe that should be continued because next year is going to be not a presidential year, but it's a mid-year, midterm election that gets more turnout than we saw this year. And when people find out that they can't get an absentee ballot, there could be a lot of angry voters. So uh, continuing the expanded definition, I think is very important while we work to craft amendments that are clearer and to educate the voters who frankly, once they experience these reforms like them. So I absolutely, the second one is absolutely one that I totally agree with. And I actually kind of agree with the first one, but the thing with me as an election administrator is how we deal with the rush of last minute registrations, you know, dur during, uh, and if we change that, that, I think one of the reasons why the 25 day deadline is in there is to get the rush of last minute registrations, get a cutoff so a board of elections can catch up on processing registrations before the start of early voting. Right. Um, well, for the golden day, yeah. what we would, absolutely uh, look to put into the law is that anybody who chose to register on that at the deadline would register through an affidavit ballot. Right. It would and not be voting on the machines at all. Yeah. Um, and then it's just the regular registration process. And if indeed they are eligible to be registered, the vote would be cast. If they're not eligible to be registered, then the vote's not counted. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, that, that'll be key is 
the devil will be in the details about, you know, because I don't want to set up a board for failure like we, you know, which was not set up for failure with true failure on the board in the Oneida board with right. not processing registrations. But, um, you know, I don't want to set up a well-meaning board, a large board for failure if, if so some kind of, you know, it, some kind of way of use of affidavits is definitely going to have to be accepted in, yeah. in that, uh, in that scenario, because once you push your poll books or print your poll books, there are still some people who print poll books for early voting. Uh, once you do that, it, there's no way to easily amend those poll books as of right now. Right, so right. even the electronic ones are tough to amend uh, and add registrations in. So once you go live at the day before early voting, it's a, it's a, it's a tremendous, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's it's just you know, it, it, when we it's an administrative challenge, but that's why we challenge. will be working with you and other election officials to figure out how to make it work because our interest is in an efficient, workable system. We're not looking to pass laws because they sound good. We're looking to pass laws because they're going to benefit voters. Therefore, they have to be practical and workable. Right. And, um, and if of course, resources are always the issue. And I know Common Cause and Let New York have been tremendous advocates for funding for early voting and funding for capital and will continue to be so. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing that we are advocating for that's on our list of priorities. And that is that it would allow and require, uh, have the election law required that there be polling places on college campuses. Yeah, well, I, um, particularly early voting sites and but uh, but polling sites in general. I know that's been a fight. You grin because of your situation here in Onondaga, but unfortunately, that's not unusual. No, we have fights not. across the state um, where boards of elections refuse to place polling places at college campuses, and that is just not acceptable. Um, it's an unnecessary barrier. We need young people voting. We want to get them civically engaged. When, if you get somebody to start voting when they're younger, they're going to be lifelong voters. But if you throw up barriers, uh, obstacles to voting when people are younger, then they're just, they don't get into the habit. Some of them later turn into voters, but a lot of them don't. And we need to really address that situation. So it's an unnecessary obstacle. Um, to require college students who often don't have transportation to have to find time in their schedule to leave campus, travel, Lord knows how far, right. stand in line, and then get themselves back. When you have enough voters on most college campuses to justify, let's just put a polling place there. And especially community colleges. This has been my big push too. And, you know, it's, it, it, I don't, mean to exclude other universities, but every county has a community college or almost every county does. Right. And in, in the higher percentage of those people that go to that community college and work at that community college are residents of the county. And, and it's a different pool of voters. It's not just all young people. You have adult education that is going on there, daycare, all of these things. That, and people um, whose schedules are really crowded. Right. Yeah. Plus, they are going to school at night. Yeah. Or you know, while they're working. Right. And so the early voting model really works for a community college. 
because you can get a ballot from where anywhere's in the county. So yeah. I, yeah. I imagine that's going to be another fight that I'm going to have next year here in Onondaga. But, you know, uh, that's a May fight. I still got a lot of fights going on locally, which is probably a good transition. Uh, you know, we, we do have uh, redistricting ongoing in Onondaga. You've been um, a tireless advocate uh, for the voters of Onondaga County. I think a lot of people think that these good government groups are New York City based and never come out of side of the boroughs. But no, Common Cause really has important. been here. League of Women Voters has been working on this with us. Um, let's start with the good. Uh, you've been instrumental. I kind of say that your your mom and I'm dad of the Syracuse Redistricting uh, uh, Commission, but I know you've met with them. I've met with them. What yes. can you tell the voters about uh, in city of Syracuse about their redistricting process? Their redistricting process is undergoing of has undergone a phenomenal and admirable change that's really going to give Syracuse residents an opportunity to see how redistricting works to participate in it and to have confidence that at the end, the maps that are drawn are fair and not um, determined for partisan advantage for one party or another, or one neighborhood or another. And that's really, really exciting because people need to have faith that these sorts of determinations are made on the basis of a representative government that truly represents all of the people. And so the new plan, the citizen-led independent redistricting commission in Syracuse is really exciting. And they're citizens who take their responsibilities very, very seriously. You know, Dustin, before I became a good government advocate, I actually was a trial lawyer. I'm a recovering trial lawyer. Um, and one of the things that I saw firsthand was the strength of the jury system, how citizens take their responsibility to be jurors, to sit in judgment on their fellow citizens extremely seriously. And I felt that same sort of seriousness and attention when I was talking to the Syracuse um, Redistricting Commission, citizens who volunteered to spend a substantial amount of time um, providing a, a public service uh, that's not going to necessarily benefit them individually, but truly will benefit the public as a whole. Yeah, I, 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 I sat with them too. And I think it's amazing how much time that they have spent into planning their public hearing schedules and, yeah. and, and that are about to undertake. In fact, they have spent more time planning that than the county legislature has done for their entire well, redistricting process. Well, the county legislature doesn't seem to have planned at all. Let's be yeah. honest. And, and, and which, you know, we should talk about the, the yin to the yang here on this. Uh, the, the Onondaga County legislature is probably, um, and, and the redistricting process has probably shown exactly what not to do. Uh, right. redistricting. You had a, a rushed reapportionment process that I was a part of, I was commissioner on, that seemed to delve into ridiculous partisan bickering and uh, and just yelling and, and no amount of actual planning. They had public hearings where many of the commissioners didn't even attend. And then 
passed maps on a partisan basis in both the reapportionment commission and then the county legislature. And then at the last minute decided that the maps that they passed themselves, the Republican county executive vetoed the map um, and uh, has sent it back to the legislature to come up with better maps, he said, for the 5% rule and also, which, you know, the top to bottom rule and also the uh, the inner city district that was gone, that went from a majority black district to a, in their first plan, a plurality white district. And now they've come back with two plans, neither which of them make a majority black. They're both plurality black and um uh, you know, and I just released a wonky Wednesday, my, my Tumblr articles about election data that had the Dave Wasserman redistricting app do scoring on all of the plans. And it showed that it actually has less minority representation in their current plans than their old plan. Um, so what, what do you make of all of this, uh, Susan? What, what do you think that, you know, we have a, a hearing next week that they're going to have a vote on an hour after the hearing to to put in a plan in place. You know, I I I'm, I I want to know overall what your thoughts are on this. Entire well, I, my thoughts are this is unacceptable. We've asked our Onondaga activists to call their county legislators to say we demand a fair process. Um, we demand more time and public input. And we demand that the south side of Syracuse not be cracked uh, into fragments. Um, you know, I think there's an arrogance to this that's very uh, disturbing and a willingness to ignore not only good practice, but what the people actually want. Right. And there have to be consequences to that. There has to be public pressure and we need to continue to shine a light on, um, you know, these sorts of unacceptable behaviors, and frankly, be ready to sue on the maps. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer. Uh, I am practice. a lawyer. Oh, you are a lawyer. I'm oh, a good. recovering trial lawyer. <laughs> All right. Oh, good. You know what? Good because I, I do want to put on display the county attorney uh, letter that went out this last week which claimed that legally we cannot have more than 50% black uh, districts, that it would actually be an illegal packing situation, even though this is a community that has voted together for 30 years in the same district. That would be very surprising to a number of uh, federal judges. <laughs> right, I mean- Who this have is decided voting rights act cases uh, to protect black voters so that they can choose the representative of their choice. There is nothing in the Voting Rights Act that says that a uh, minority district is capped at 50%. The whole point of the Voting Rights Act is to allow a community that has been uh, marginalized or discriminated against in the past to have enough political power to choose a representative of their own choosing. Yeah, I mean, it seems like their whole reasoning is, is that if you make a minority majority district that all the minorities have the same interests and thus will vote for a minority candidate and thus they have done a, a, a good deed even though one of their minority majority districts is 49.5% white. You know, I mean, it's like it's minority majority by 
the, the barest of margins, uh, you know, it, it seems like it goes and it flies in the face of the Voting Rights Act. Well, I mean, the way, the way in which the, it's not just pure percentages, Dustin. It's not just pure percentages under the Voting Rights Act. It's the pattern of voting in the communities. So you can have 50.5% minority voters in a district, but if the pattern is that you don't, you know, you never get 100% turnout, right? So what is the community's pattern of voting? What allows, what percentage allows them to have a representative of their own choosing? Uh, and so you look at the way, the patterns of voting, what the percentages are, um, how uh, polarized the voting is in the district. It's not just a, um, you know, okay, we have 50 plus one, so we're okay. Redistricting is a very complex topic. And the courts look, do a tremendous, rely on a tremendous amount of analysis. These are not, to be honest, these are not easy cases to bring because you have to do a really significant amount of analysis in terms of voting patterns. But I can tell you that, um, you know, the, for sure, districts that are stronger, have a stronger minority component than 50% mm -hmm. have often succeeded or been set up by the courts under the Voting Rights Act. Right. I mean, that's, you know, that's the thing. It's like, this is not new. This has been going on since the 60s. And it seems like this is a justification to do what they want to do by yeah. cracking Democratic districts outside of the city and, and bringing them inside the city. Uh, you know, it, it seems like this is a late turn justification and they're giving the veneer of a legal advice that doesn't seem to be backed up by any facts that I've been able to find. So but that's facts been the process. Or law, or right. law yeah. <laughs> that anybody is familiar with. Now I'm not I'm not a specialist in the VRA. It is a very complicated area of law, you know, it, it, to bring the civil rights cases in part because of the analysis that has to be done. But I can tell you just from what I know that um, there doesn't seem to be much legal backing to that opinion. Right. Well, uh, you know, we're kind of getting on our time here that uh, I, I like to, I run a half hour or so of, uh, uh, you know, I know I could talk to you all day about everything, but I always like to end these podcasts with the question, what haven't we talked about that you want to get out there? Uh, what do you think it's important for people to know about um, you know, either your organization, you, or any goals or anything that you think uh, people should know about? Well, you know, I think that people should know that there will be a concerted continuing effort to serve the voters of New York and to continue to expand access to voting for the maximum number of citizens and that the fight is far from over um, and that there will be in new reforms and um, ways in which people can become involved in the fight to be sure that we have a top-notch 21st century election administration all up and down the state. That's what New York's voters deserve 
And that's what we're going to work to uh, bring to New York. And if you'd like to join us, you can sign up on the Common Cause website, commoncause.org forward slash and why. It'll be added to our email list and we will bring you in to discussions about what needs to be done, how to improve it, and actions that you can take. Well, thank you once again, Susan, for coming on and spending some time. Uh, I know we'll be talking a lot over the next few months. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe not on here, but, uh, uh, you know, but you're an incredible advocate for voters of New York and the citizens of Onondaga helping us out with the redistricting. So I wanted to thank you personally for your efforts there. My pleasure. And Dustin, it is always a pleasure and so essential to have a public-minded election administrator and the people of Onondaga County are lucky to have. Well, thank you. I'm lucky to be where I'm at. I always feel that way. Uh, so next week, uh, I am actually going to have Brianna Lennon on. She is uh, the co-host of the national podcast, High Turnout, Wide Margins. And uh, she, uh, she's uh, coming on. She's actually a Central New York native. She uh, grew up over in New Hartford. And I was on her uh, podcast a few uh, months back and we got talking. I said, well, you got to come on mine because you're from <laughs> Central New York. So we, we're going to talk about uh, why she started uh, in this national podcast and what she's learned. And she is a uh, elected county clerk out in Missouri. Uh, and so we'll get a little bit of idea of what is what is like to do elections in a non-bipartisan fashion, in a uh, elected fashion, fashion. So I think it'll be a good uh, 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 and I will also have the co-chairs of the Syracuse Redistricting Commission uh, in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, in the meantime, please remember to that you know we are experiencing an uptick in COVID in uh, not just Onondaga County but New York State. Governor Hochul has reissued a masking mandate. Please, please abide by that masking mandate, and please uh, uh, respect those that are asking you to do so. And if you haven't already, get your vaccine get your booster, uh, you know, the Delta variant and Omicron variants have, uh, of the of the COVID-19 do have breakthrough cases and it, our hospitals are getting full again. And it's winter in central New York. Outdoor uh, social participation is gonna go down. Indoor social participation is gonna go up. And if we wanna have a shot at a normal winter, we need to abide by these new mandates and new rules in place and keep each other safe and protected we already do that in central New York. You know, we always help each other out of ditches when there's snow. We always, you know, I love living here because of that. And so think about it that way. You're helping out your fellow neighbor by putting on your mask, getting vaccinated, getting boosted, and uh, acting in a responsible way. And hopefully we'll get out of this together. So and a happy and healthy holidays to everybody. Yes, absolutely. A happy holiday season. And, um, you know, I hope uh, all of you get some time to spend with loved ones. So thank you very much and enjoy the rest of your day. Bye-bye.